Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf um, Yud Zayin. Today's she is Le'ulu Nishmash Ben Siyom Ben Ze'ev Avram Alevi and Matisya Mordechai Ben Yosef. As I said, today's uh, of the spirit. Today is Hayom Asaro Yomim Shayim Shavuah Echodesh Lashoy Yomim Ba'omer, the 10th day of the Omer. Um, I'm going to go from the Mishnah towards the bottom of Tezayin Amud Beis, um, Halacha Beis. So remember, in the first mission of the parak, we mentioned that there were thirteen bowings when the when in the base hamidrash. If someone was going around the temple, they would end up bowing. There were thirteen places where you bow. So we so we're going to discuss those now. So where were these places that they bowed? So arba and arba There were four in the north, four in the south. Shloisha b'mizrach ubeis b'marov. Three in the east and two in the west. Where, what were they? Why were, where were these? Keneged, corresponding to the 13 gates. Now we're going to go and mention all the gates. But interesting, it seems out of, um, um, out of respect for every time you would walk past a gate, I think to show um, respect and awe for the temple, you would bow. So if you did a circuit of the Temple courtyard, you would bow thirteen times. That's just going to say Dromim. The the southern gate, Smuchim Lamarov from the west. Shara Elyon was the upper gate. Shar Hadelek, the gate of kindling. Shar Habachoros and the the gate of the firstborns. And Shar Hamayim, the gate of water. What's the the upper one is because the temple. Remember, it was on a mountain. So the, as you headed west in the temple, it got a bit higher. So Shara Elion was the highest gate on the south, um, yeah, the, the west side of the southern wall. Um, Shara Hadolek is where they used to carry the firewood into the base. I mean, that's, that's why I've got the name Delek Kindling. Bechoros is where people. Um, different korbanos were shechted in the north and some in the south. The Bechor was shechted in the south, so they would bring it in through the south, um, the south gate and shecht the korban there. Shar Hamayim and the water gates. It says, Shar Why was it called the Shar Hamayim? Shepo machnisin shluchishomayim It was called the water gate because it was where they brought in the flask, the flask of Water that they used to do nisuchamayim with on sukkahs. On sukkahs, there was a. It was the only time that any water was poured on the mizbech was on sukkahs, and this jar of water they brought in through this shar hamayim. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, Omer Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says that's not the reason it was called shar hamayim. What's the reason? Bo hamayim mefachin. It was where the water would trickle. Vatidin lios yotzi mitachas mifton shalbayis, and in the future it will come out through the threshold of the house. So that's, um, it's hard to tell. Is he giving us two reasons? One, well, currently water trickles out of it, or is it, it's, it's where the water will trickle out in the future under the threshold of the house. But we're going to see in the Gomorrah that at least in the future, there was a special stream that gushed out of the, well, yeah, at least ended up gushing out of the Beis Amikdash. Corresponding to these gates were gates in the northern in the northern wall. Says Muchim Bamaro from the west, Shar Yechonya, the gate of Yechonya, Shar Korban, Shar Hanoshim, and Shar Hashir. What Shar Yechonya is? It's the gate that Yechonya left through when he realized 
or he was going to be destructed. We'll see in the Gemara, but more about why it was called his gate. Shara Karban, the gate of the Karban, is where most Karbanas were brought in and shechted there. Um, Shar Hanoshim, that's a big discussion. What's Shar Hanoshim, the woman's gate? So the one explanation is it's where women used to go into smicha on their animals. Remember when someone would bring a korban, they would lean on their animals. So the Shar Hanoshim is where women would take their korbanos and do smicha. The th- problem with that is that there are many, there's an opinion in the Gemara who holds that women don't do smicha. So then what's Shar Hanoshim? So it seems it was an even where women could go into the temple as an added level of smius. Um, they used to um, um, women used to have a separate entrance into the temple um, and that was again interesting enough it seems something if you learn like that it's something that's unique to the temple this, that there should be separate entrances for men and women um, but we do find connections between Snius modesty and privacy and the Shrina so that seems in the base. I mean, that it was appropriate to have an extra level of sensitivity. Um, the yeah, according to yeah, the the commentary of Chaim Kanievsky says that according to Yehudu says women don't have to do smicha. This gate was at least so that they would be standing by their korban. When a person offers a korban, he should be by his korban. And that's what Shara Noshim, the special gate for a woman. And then the last one we mentioned was Shara Shir. It says, Sorry, Shara Shir, the gate of music. It's where they used to carry the musical instruments in and out of the temple courtyard. Why was the one gate we mentioned called Shara Chonya? It's the gate that Yechonia left into Galoship. And we'll see a bit further in the Gemara um, about this gate. In the east, now we're moving into the eastern wall, was Shar Nikanor, the gate of Nikanor, that was called named after him. And there were two smaller doorways in this main gate, Echod Miyomi Echod Mismoilo, on its left, on its right and on its left, Vishnaim Bamarov, and two in and then there were two gates in the rest. Shame and they didn't have a name. Uh, they were they weren't really used so that they didn't have any names. Um enough, so they the just this gate of Nicanor, it was such a huge splendorous gate. Um, remember the famous story with Nicanor is that he was, I think it's in, it might be in Yuma, which I think is the next Masechta, but the famous story with Nicanor is that he went to Mithraim and he got these huge copper fancy gates uh, uh, made for the base Amikdash. And on the way back on the boat, when they were transporting them back, there was a huge storm and the sailors decided to throw off the gate. Oh, well, they threw off the one gate. They thought it will help the load of the boat. And the boat was still in danger of sinking, so they wanted to throw the next one off, and Nicanor, in his dearness, because he had made them for the temple, held on and loved them because of that, he held on to the door, and he said, if you're going to throw it off, you have to throw me off with it. And uh, the miracle, uh, a miracle occurred, and the storm stopped, but he was still worried, he's going to arrive in Yerushalayim with just one gate. And he was quite upset, but when they docked in the harbor, they saw that the other gate had been following them along. So that was the miracle of Shara Nikanor, and these were his gates. They were very big, and because um, they were so huge, hard to open, so they had two smaller doors 
in them, and these are what we're counting, these are the three at the south, and then there were two in the west, which didn't have a name. The west was behind the Kodesh HaKadoshim, it seems that it was hardly ever used, that people would go in and out. The one opinion I heard is more they were built in like as a escape plan. Now we're going to now we're going to analyze the Mishnah. So the Gemara says, "But is in Abba Yosi ben Yochanan here." The Mishnah is Abba Yosi ben Yochanan. Why do Amar Kenegad Yud Gimel Shaarim, who says that the thirteen bowings correspond to the thirteen gates? Remember that's why we mentioned these gates. It says Barom Karabon and Shiva Shaarim Hoyubazar. According to the sages, there were actually only seven gates in the courtyard. Well, then, according to their opinion, what were the 13 bowings? If they only, again, according to the first opinion we just learned, the 13 bowings corresponded when you would walk by one of the gates of the temple. You'd bow in awe of the temple. But there were only seven, and they clearly don't hold you. The bowings connected to the gates. So they learn like the following Taninan, Tamon, like we learned over there. Yud Gimul Protsos Hoyushep Prutsim Malcha Yovan. There were 13 breaches that Malchus Yovan made. The Chosru Vagodra Menei And after the miracle of, so the Greeks breached the temple doorways, I think as a sign to show that they were in control and dominating. And after the miracle of Hanukkah, the Chashmonaim rebuilt them. The Gosru Kenegdom Yud Gimul Shtachavoyz. So corresponding to each of these breaches that were fixed, there were 13 bowing. So these were more not bowing in awe of the temple, but bowing in appreciation to Hashem for the miracle. Okay, now we're going to go back and discuss the water that came out of the temple. Remember, we mentioned that one of the gates were called Sharamayim. So what is this? It will be on that day in the future that the Mayim Chaim uh, running water will come out of Yerushalayim. The water from the Kodesh HaKadoshim, it seems that's where it would come out from the ground, from or miraculously start in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, up until the Paroiches, that's the curtain between the sanctuary and the Holy of Holies. Two types of, it was as thin as the antennas of these two types of snails. From the Paroiches up until the golden altar, Kekarne Chagovim. It was a little bit thicker, the water stream. It was like the antenna of grasshoppers. Um, from the golden altar until the courtyard, it, it was wider, it was, it was, the water increased and it was like a the warp thread, Minaz a little bit thicker, Minazoros and Mifton base, Kachuchel Erev. And from the courtyard until the entrance to the bias, it was like uh, the warp, the woof thread, a little bit thicker. And from then onwards, it was like the stream of water that would be poured out of a jug. So that's, so again, the stream starting with as a tiny little trickle of water and slowly growing and growing. We'll come back to this point of its growing, but now we're going to just analyze some sukim of Yechezkel that have to do with this water that came from the base Amigdash. It says, The water was trickling from the right side of the Mizbeach. And to the east, a man went out. This is in the vision of Yechezkel. A man went out with a measuring stick in his hand. And he measured a thousand amos. And we passed through the water. 
Me'afis, ankle water. It says, what does Me'afis mean? Ad karsula. Until his ankles. I, from the base Amigdash, you measure a thousand Amos. Then it was um, ankle deep, the water. And then he measured another thousand Amos and he passed me through the water and it was knee water. What does that mean? Abrechi, it was now knee deep. And we went further and it was loins water. What does that mean? Ad Masnaya, the water, it was now waist deep. And from then onward, and from then onwards, from that point onwards, it was a strong stream that weren't even able to pass. And even these ships weren't able to cross this water. It was so strong. In my timer, what's the source? It says that a gallant ship or a mighty ship won't pass. Why? Because this may sochu, this water, just increased, raised itself. So again, so again, this water started, basically we've continued with this theme, that the water started as a tiny little trickle in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, coming out of there, and it slowly increased as it went out of the base of Migdash, and as you went further, every thousand amos, you could tell the water was significantly deeper until it was this rushing river. Omar Asran Koru, so, oh, sorry, my Sochu. What does it mean? Sorry, my Sochu. Literally, we're generally translated as swimming water. It says, no, Milishot. It was too strong to swim in. You couldn't even swim, or a boat couldn't even swim through it. Omar Avchayna, Asran Koru, Lashaita, Shechuna. In our place, they actually call swimming Shaita, Shechuna. That's very similar to the word Sachu. Uperish Yodov Bekirbo, carrying on with the Posuk, he will spread his hands in it, Kashe Yifrosh Hashoichelishchos, as one who um, tries to swim, spreads his hands to swim. It says, Mahu Mei Soicho, what is this Mei Soicho? Omer Biosi Beiri Bibun, Mayin Demismalilin Baalmat, Soicho comes from the root Sicha of speaking. Says it's this water that everyone in the whole world will speak about. It says, On that day, a spring will um, will open for the household of David and for those who stay in Yerushalayim. For the purification water of the Paraduma. Remember, we call it the Mech, the water of the Paraduma. You sprinkle that was sprinkled on a person. It was special spring water, Mayim Chaim, mixed with the ashes and a few things. So that's the Mechatas and Lenida as a mikvah for women to purify themselves in. So this stream will open for the household of David and the residents of Yerushalayim to purify themselves from Tumor Corpse and from Nida. Now the question is that, why couldn't anyone else use it? What do you mean a spring for the family of David and the residents of Yerushalayim? What about the rest of the world? Why, why is it unique to them? So it's Rabbi Shmuel, Bar Nachman Omar, Rabbi Yonasan, Rabbi Shmuel Nachman said in the name of Rabbi Yonasan, it's not the family of David till the residence of Yerushalayim. It's the area from Zion, based David, up until Yerushalayim. In that area, it was kosher to use to purify themselves. I, you could use the water there as spring water to 
um, as Mayim Chayim to make the Paraduma water, and it could also be used as a woman. Mikan Ve'elech Meitaruvois. From then onwards, the water was a mixture. <coughs> it wasn't spring water, it was a mixture. And therefore, Hem Cherub Lenido, Upsulim Lemechatas. Sorry, it was a mixture of rainwater and the spring water, and therefore it was kosher for a nida, but it was posel lemechatas. Omer Rebbe Lozo, Rebbe Beis David, Vadvoyshe, Yishraim, Kushayre, Lenidu, Lachatas, Bikad Ve'elech, Meikatafri, Soit, Heinu, Psulim, Lenidu, Lachatas. Rebbe Lozo said that, no, what the explanation is, from Beis David, I, from that area, until Yoshe Yishraim, you could use it, it was kosher for both a nida and for Poraduma water to purify with, but from then onwards, it was a steep slope and could not be used to purify a nida or for the chattas water. And what, what's wrong with if it's too steep a slope? So, um, so it seems, according to many opinions, if the water is on too steep a slope flowing down, it's not considered connected to the water above it. So therefore, it's not it's flowing water which can't be used as a as a mikvah, and it's not considered a stream because it's since it's so steep. It's not considered part of the stream anymore. Okay, now we go back to the Psukim in Yechezkel. Um, it's written, This will refer, this water's flow will flow to the eastern Galilee. Um, this is the Yam Shel Somchu. We would generally refer to this as Lake Hula. It's not, I think at the moment, I think it's very, very small because of farming and stuff, draw their water from it, but it's north of the Kinneret. The Yordu El Ha'arava, and it will go out to the plain, go down to the plain. Ze Yamshel Tveria, this is what we call the Kinneret. Oboa Ha'yam, it will come to the west. Ze Yam Ha'melach, this, or to the sea. This is the sea, um, the salt, the Dead Sea. El to the expanding sea, Ze this is the Great Sea. Uh, what's the Great Sea? Okay, well, let's see. Why was it called the expanding water? This water broke its banks and flooded in the days of Enosh and in the days of the Dor Hafloga. We'll see, but basically, in the Dor Enosh, that was early on. Um, he, that was when Avodah Zorah started in the world, the days of Enosh. So the water in those days threatened to flood the world again. It's, that's why it's called the expanding water. And also in the days of Dora Flogger, remember that was the group of people at that time. They decided that's the, what we often refer to as the Tower of Babel. They tried to build a tower or exact intention we can discuss, but they tried to build a tower to go against Hashem. I, they wanted to do um, remove Hashem from the world. So in those two generations, this water tried to flood them. Very, very short. My grandfather has a few amazing shurim to do with water and what it represents, um, the seas and stuff. But very concisely, remember that the sea is one of the most awesome um, I don't know, phenomena, natural phenomena we have in this world. If you go, everyone's awed when you stand on the beach and you look at the sea. Um, it's awe-inspiring, and we also we know the power, etc., of the sea. Um, but remember, Hashem, the whole world was covered with the water of the sea, and we know that each creation, in its way, is a great honor for Hashem, and like Perek Shira says, sings praises to Hashem. 
So Hashem came along to the sea and He said, I want to move you away to add some dry land for people. So, so the sea says, look, I'm not really uh, prepared to do that. And Hashem said, it's a greater praise for me. People, by choosing to serve Hashem, is a greater praise for Hashem than the rest of the creation which does it automatically. Again, it is great. So the sea said, okay, but it was kind of conditional on the fact that man is a better praise. So when, chas shalom, man turns against Hashem, well, then the sea comes along and says, well, look, Hashem, you moved me away for this great praise for you. He's uh, clearly not turning out to be such a good praise for you. They're turning to Avodah Zorah, they're being heretics, they're not doing chesed, etc. Let, I want to go back to my original uh, resting place covering the whole world. So that's one of the things that a flood represents, and that's beautiful. In the, that's why we understand, in the d- days of Enosh, and the days of Dora Floka, of all times, while the sea would burst this blank and flood, because... That's what happens. Now, granted, Hashem says they'll never be, He'll never destroy the world through a flood again. Um, I think it's something we have to keep in mind and think about every time we <coughs> we hear about a flood again. It won't flood the whole world, but it, there are certain areas of floods. Um, are we being a service and a, are we being a servant and a praise that is great, a living a life that is a greater praise to Hashem than water? And when you're standing at the ocean and you see the waves continually trying, it looks like they're trying to climb up the beach to break the boundary. Just think about that, that this is the idea that, uh, we'll see it a little bit further, but this is the idea that uh, the sea is reminding us that we have to live a life that is, um, that is in, uh, brings glory to Hashem. So that's just a small idea on this, why the, um, why we fought. so that's why it was called the expanding water, because in those days it flooded its bank, it went out of its boundaries and threatened to flood the world again. So we're just going to say, Rabbi, um, Rabbi Lozob, Shame Rabbi Hanina, Birushana Yatsa at Calabria. Um, the first flooding reached all the way to Calabria, it seemed somewhere low down in Italy, or Vishnia Yatsa at Kipe Barbaria. And then the second flooding, the second time in Dora Flaka, it went all the way down to Barbaria. I don't know where that is. Or Barbaria. Um, Rebi Acha Beshem Rebi Hanina Berishoina Yotza Ad Kipe Barbaria Vishni Yotza Ad Ako Vaad Yafo. The Rebi Acha says, no, the first time it went all the way to Barbaria, Barbaria. And the second time it went to off even further to Ako and Yafo. It says, Ad Potovo Velo Tosif. As the Pesach says, until here you will come and no further, ad Akko, to Akko, Tovo Velo Tosif. Upo Yoshis Begon Golecho, your proud, mighty waves will stop here. Ad Yafo, Oshis Goen Golecho, your mighty, proud waves will stop. Either the sea, Hashem told the sea to stop in those places. Now, now we're going to go back. Remember we mentioned there were four streams and they each went into the different seas. Um, the one went into the Hula Lake, um, Yamshel Somchu. The one went into the Yam Kineret, Yamshel Tveria. The second, the third one went into the Yamamelach, and the fourth one we said was this uh, expanding sea, the Yamagodol. So he says. So the Gemara says. Can you know what? I had to go into the Yammer, the Great Sea, and the Salt Sea to sweeten them. 
But why does the water, and that's a special mala of this water from the base Amigdash, it flowed into these seas and it sweetened them so that they were usable water. But he says, Yamada Tavaria, Yamada de Samchu. But why did it have to flow into the Kineret and um, Yam Samchu? Says Lerabos Dagosam. No, the reason it flowed into there, the special water from the base of Midash, was to increase the growth of fish. The Tzivbeh, it's written, Leminotie Dagosam. It will have many species, it will, it's species it's, there will be species of fish, and the Joshes, Lemine Minam Tie Dagosam. There will be many, many, many types of species of fish. And Tani Omar Bishimu in Gamil Master Shalakti Latsaidan, he says actually once went to Tsaidan, they brought me a fish dish which had more than three hundred different types of fish. So that's the brocha when the rain when this uh, water flows out of the temple into those seas, the Yamatutferi and Yamatusomhu, even though it's drinkable water, it will flow um it will, even though it's drinkable water, it will increase the fish in them. Now on that, the mime will heal them. The mime will sweeten them. And then it says a bit further in the Pasuk, but say so Vagovov, it swamps and pools, nisnu, and it won't cure, it won't sweeten them because they for salt. This also contradicts itself. We just explained that it says the water became sweet. And then at the end of the Pasuk it says, but the water won't become sweet. So make up your mind. Which one is it, Pasuk? So No, there was a place which was called Loyirpu. The water won't reach up to this area, Loyirpu. And the reason for that is it will remain salty so that they can produce and get salt from there. You can't have every single water in your whole country and in your boundaries not salty. Because then where are you going to get salt from? Ksiv, carrying on with the Psukim in Yechezkel, Ksiv al-Hanachal Ya'aleh. Well, the Allah Nachal in the stream, Ya'aleh, it will, Al-Sposom, Izeo, Mizeh, Kol Eitz Machal, all fruit trees will grow on both sides of its banks. Lo Yibolaleo, its leaves will never wither, Velo Yitam Pirion, and its fruit will not, um, its fruit will not fail. And then the apostle continues, um, as the water comes from the temple, and its fruit will be for food and its leaves for healing. Oh, sorry. And then, Lechadoshov Yevacher, it will renew the produce every two months. Chadoshov is plural, it's months. Okay, so that's the, so again, the, sorry, so the Apostle says this on the banks of the stream, again, the one that flows out of the temple, will grow this amazing fruit trees. The leaves will never wither, the fruit will never fail, and it will regrow every two Months. In this world, we find that grain takes six months to grow. Again, remember, you plant it around Sukkot time and you harvest it around Pesach time. So that's six months. But Ilan in a tree takes 12 months. Fruit seasonal every once a season. Once a year. In the future, grain will take two, um, one month, and fruit trees will take two, two months. My time, as the Apostle says, each, it will renew itself, there will be new fruit 
in its months, every two months. In this world, grain takes six months to grow. And fruit, trees take 12 months to produce fruit. Um, but in the world to come, Tfua will take 15 days and trees will take one month to produce new fruit. Now, where do we get this? Where does he get this idea? She came once in she also tat fu be may yo el hamish also yom the kore be menu oimer in the days of yo el they planted they planted grain and it grew in 15 days and it and they were managed to offer the oimer my time. Where do we get this? As it says in the post of the night, Sion gilu vasom hu bashem lokechem the people of Sion rejoiced and celebrated in Hashem their God, Kinosan Lochem Es Hamoira Letstoka, he gave them teachings of righteousness, the Yorid Lochem Gesh and Moira Malkosh Berishon, and in Nisan he gave them this the different types of rain. Umamakayim Rebiosi Lachadosh Yuchor. Oh, but what does he do with its months will renew? Okay, Rebiosi came along and said that you trees will produce new fruit every month. But the Pasuk we brought earlier said, In two months it will produce new fruits. He says, it's, Don't read it as every two months. Read it as every single month um, it will produce new fruit. Just what's the story with Yael? So that's in the Maseches Tanis. Um, there was a famine. And finally, Banisan. Now, Banisan, we already stop asking for rain. And rain can actually be detrimental. Remember, we stop asking for rain on Pesach, but but Nisan rains very bad. So they had a drought and a, a, a famine, and they were on to their last grain. And the prophet Yael, or prophetess Yael, came and told, was it Yael or Yael? Um, Yael, um, Yael, sorry, Yael. The prophet Yael came and told them that they must take their last bit of grain and plant it. And they trusted in him and Hashem, and they planted their grain at the beginning of Nisan, and it grew within 15 days that they could harvest, never mind they had enough to eat, but they could harvest from the grain and plant the, and bring the Omer offering on the second day of Pesach. So that was a huge miracle that happened then. But we see when the earth is in its, I guess, peak performance, like it will be in Olam Haba, it can, and the rains, the Yorah and Malkush is perfect, it can grow in 15 days. So that was his source for that. Carrying on with the Psukim we were discussing earlier, um, it's leaves will be for a cure. If you just suck it, it will give you sustenance. Um, where, why does he say that? The teref mazona, the word teref has connotations of sustenance. Rav Shmuel had Omer lahatir peshem lemalan, v'chad Omer lahatir peshem lematan. Rav and Shmuel had an argument. One said eating these leaves will cure the upper mouth, and one says it will cure the lower mouth. What are those referring to? So Rabbi Chanina, Rabbi Shua ben Levi, chad Omer lahatir pe akoros. The lower mouth refers to the womb. Eating those leaves will cure women who are barren. One said eating these leaves will cure someone who is the upper mouth, someone who is mute, someone who can't speak well. Ulu Uma Sombat Safon. 
corresponding to them in the north. Aye, so we said that we discussed the southern gates and then we went on and discussed the gates in the north. So it says, At moitzi v'shas she'olo nebuchadnezzar lekan bov yoyshev lo bedovnei shalantuchya. You'll find that when Nebuchadnezzar went to Nebuchadnezzar went to go destroy the Beis Hamidash, and he was staying in the outskirts of the city Antochia, the Yotzah Sanhedrin the great Sanhedrin went to speak to him, and they asked him, "He gives man Beis Have you come to destroy the Beis Hamidash?" If you hand over your king, give him to me, and I will. Carry on, I will leave. So they came and they told Yehoyachin that Nebuchadnezzar wants you. So when Yehoyachin heard this, he went up, he went, he took the keys to the Beis HaMikdash. He went on to the roof of the temple and he said before him before Hashem master of the universe in the past we were faithful to you Hashem and your keys were given over into our hands now that we're not faithful to you and the Beis Amidash is going to be destroyed I'm giving your keys back two Amoras argued about what, they, what happened next the one opinion says he threw them up and they never came down. An image of a hand came down and took the keys from him. And Kivain Shero called Choyre Yehuda came when the nobles of Yehuda saw this. Olu Leroish Gagosayim, they went onto the roofs of the houses, Venoflu Mesu, and they jumped off and they died. This is similar to what the Persek says. Look what's happening in Yerushalayim, that everyone's gone onto their roofs. There's a commotion and a city filled with panic, etc. And that's the, what it's alluding to, um, this, this uh, thing that happened. Um, I was just wondering if we can learn from here. There's always there's a question in halacha if uh, if someone comes to uh, if someone like lays siege a, a gang or an army lays siege to a town and they say hand over so and so you're not allowed to hand that person over and sorry if they say give us one person you're not allowed to give that person to them. Because you're not allowed to sacrifice someone on your for your goods, you're not allowed to. And if even if they say we'll wipe out the whole town unless you give us a, give us one of your people or one of the women or whatever they say, you're not allowed to unless they specify someone. But not only that, the Rambam brings it's not good enough that they just specify someone. It also has to be that they. Um, not only that, sorry, that they that that person is deserving of death. And here we see the Sanhedrin, Nebuchadnezzar says, just hand over your king and I won't, uh, and I won't destroy the Beis Amigdash. They didn't go and arrest Yehoiachid and take him, to, um, take him to Nebuchadnezzar. They just went back and told him that Nebuchadnezzar's 
coming for you. I, they almost left it up to him what to do, and then he carried through. So I was wondering if this uh, fits in and if we can learn any halachas from this piece. But again, often we don't learn necessarily learn halachas from a garita. New Mishnah. So then the Mishnah also continued. Um, uh, the first Mishnah said, There were 13 shulchans, tables in the Beis HaMikdash. There were eight in the area where they, the butchery eye, where they worked with the korbanos. And what were the eight of marble? And what were they used for? Rinsing the innards. Interesting enough, whenever we see the marble tables, the reason that they would use marble in those cases is because if they used silver or gold, it gets warm and hotter much quicker, which causes the meat to spoil quicker. So when they were working with the animals, etc., and had been shechted with the korbanos or the part of those animals, they would use marble, which stayed cooler. So that's eight of them were in that area for working with the animals. Ubeis with the korbanot, the, slaughter, the slaughtered animal. Ubeis b'marov akeves, echot shel shayes ve'echot shel kesef. And there were two to the west of the ramp of the altar. One of marble and one of gold. Al shel shayes noisin esayvorim. On the marble one they would put the limbs before they were carried up onto the mizbech. Al shel kesef clay shores. And the one of silver they put the clay shores. And the Gemara elsewhere tells us in Maseches Tomid that there were 93 kalim that they used in the service of the temple each day. So they would come and put those on that gold, on that silver table. So that's um, another two. What are we up to? Uh, Twelve. Over ulam mibifnim and inside the ulam. Sorry, no. I skipped one. Oh, obeys ulam. There were two on the inside of the ulam al pesach habayis, by just by the entrance to the temple. Echot shel shayis ve'echot shel zov, one of marble and one of gold. Al shel shayis noisnim lechem aponim bechnisosov. Al shel zov biyitziyoso. They would put the lechem aponim on the marble one before they took it in to take it on the shulchan there. And when they were leaving, they would put it on the gold on on the golden one. Why did they have to have two different materials, marble and gold, for these two tables? Again, the marble one, they put the lechem upon him, the showbread, before they took it into the, into the sanctuary to put it on the actual shulchan. Um, and then when they came out, they put it on gold. Shemalim b'kodesh, velomeridin. To go up in holiness and not to go, and don't, don't go down in holiness. Echel chelzah mibifnim, she'olah lechem upon him. Tell me that there was a golden table inside, which on which they put the lechem haponim, which the lechem haponim remained consistent, um, or which was always on it. Very interestingly, Rashi elsewhere seems to learn that this whole thing of putting them on a marble table and then going and put them on the shulchan, and then when you come out putting them on the gold, he says one of the main purpose of that was to teach us, was to highlight this concept of maling bekodesh velomaridin. You always go up in holiness, so as as much as possible. So once you've used a, a golden table for the showbread inside. You can't come outside and put it on a marble table or another table. You'd put it on the on a gold table. Again, once you're going from the but oh, so still, but why do you put it on a table and why marble on the outer one? So again, you want to put it on the marble one to show that you first use a regular and you go up in holiness when you put it inside. You put it on the gold one. Tony, now. 
this brisa is going to say al shul kesef. It was put on silver. Is it? I saw two versions. One is that the, the showbread before it wasn't a marble table that the showbread was put on before it was taken into the actual shulchan. It was. Um, it was silver. Or another opinion says the one that the marble one that we said was at the base of the ramp to take that they would take it onto the Mizbech was it on marble but it was silver. Or it should have been silver. Rabbi Yosi B'Shem Rabbi Shmuel Bar Yitzchak Rabbi Hanina Mati Bo B'Shem Rabbi Yosi Rabbi Shmuel said the name of Rabbi of so Rabbi Yosi said in the name of Rabbi Shmuel by Yitzhak and Rabbi Hananya leaned to say it was actually in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. They wouldn't have used silver there because it will cause the meat to rot. I, the, one, the, the one at the base of the ramp where they would put the limbs before they would carry them onto the ramp had to have been marble because otherwise it would warm up and it would cause the meat to rot quicker. But wait, we don't have to worry about stuff rotting in the base Amidash. One of the miracles that we said about the base Amidash is just as they would put it on the shulchan, the showbread, they put the showbread on the table warm, and when they came to remove it, remember they used to put it on, they bake it on Friday and put it on the shulchan every Shabbos. When they came to take it off the following week, it was still warm. So you don't have to worry about things going moldy or rotting the base of Midash. Where do we see this? As it, they put hot bread like on the day they would take it off. I the way I mean that's not the simple reading of the pot, but the drosh is you would put it on hot like when you take it off, it's still hot. Um and yeah, the Rav Chaim Kanietsky points out that there's another drosh, there's in the Mishnah in Avos that says um sorry, let me just find it. Yeah, the mission in Avos says that there was a miracle that the Bosor Kodshim, the sacrificial meat, never ever rotted. It never even gave off a bad smell. So that was quite... So why are we concerned that the, the, all the limbs placed at the bottom of the altar were placed on a silver table? Why did that... Sorry, why did they have to be placed on marble? Place them on a silver one. So to be sure, Ben Levi Omar, we don't mention a miracle, we don't learn from a miracle, we don't rely on miracles. You can't do an act Counting on a miracle. Bon Kumi Rebbe Ila. They asked Rebbe Ila, What happens if they didn't manage to have new lechem upon him? Would they leave it for another week? Again, as I explained earlier, remember every week they would switch out, every Shabbos they would switch out, they'd put new lechem upon him on the table and remove the old lechem upon him. What happens if you didn't have new lechem upon him? Would you take the old one off? Or would you leave it on for another week? So Amalon, Ksiv, the Pasuk says, You'll place on the table, Lechem Ponim, showbread, and it will be before me, Tomit, always. Lechem Ponim, Apostle, you have to leave the Lechem Ponim there, even if it's conceptually possible, even if it's past its date. Many learn that you would leave them on for an extra week and they don't become invalid. There are opinions that they do become invalid. But either way, we see that you have to leave, there has to be lechem upon him on the shulchan 24-7. Um, and even if it would not normally be left there, you have to leave it there so that there is showbread on the table. This is a sorry shulchan also shlomo. Once we've been discussing the shulchan, we now mention a whole lot of other shulchan. A sorry shulchan also shlomo. Shlomo made 12 tables. 
ten tables. He came and he placed, it says when Shlomo, sorry, when Shlomo was building the base Hamidah, she made another ten shulchans. Five on the right and five on the left. Now, maybe, what is five on the right and five on the left? So remember, the Beis Amidash, you're going to be facing west, because that's where the Kodesh HaGarosh is. So maybe it means five in the north and five in the south, the right and the left. The Shulchan is only valid. You're only allowed to have the Shulchan in the north. Shinemar is the Apostle says, You must have the Shulchan placed on the northern side. Also, Matamudlomar, so what does it mean, five on the right and five on the left? Five on the right of the Shulchan HaMoshe, and five on the left. And nevertheless, even though there were these extra, ten extra tables, they only put Lechem upon him on the Shulchan that Moshe made. Again, the one that was made in the desert for the Mishkan. So even though Shlomo made these other tables, these other ten tables, they weren't used. Shinema, as the Apostle says, The table which had Lechem upon him, on it. I mean, see, there's only one table. Rabbi Yosei Rabbi Yehuda argues, he says, Oimer, he says, Al-Kulon No, they put Lechem upon him on all of them. I don't know if that means literally that they had 11 tables with showbread on them, or they would choose whichever one they wanted to put it on. Shinemar says, The tables and on it was Lechem upon him. Tony Rebbe says they placed these tables in a row from east to west. I from the basically from the sanctuary, well that would be in the west, towards the entrance to the to the um to the to the main part of the temple courtyard um along that line. And Rebbe he says, no, they placed them from north to south. So they placed them in a row. The, the two rows were from the north, from the northern wall, heading down towards the south. The one who says they were placed from east to west, it makes sense that they could all be used. Because, if, again, this is based on the calculations. I don't want to go through the technical calculation now. But remember, the shulchan had to be towards the north. And it also had to be from halfway in, if I remember correctly, halfway in the Azora inwards. Out, sorry, outwards. So if you place them from east to west, there's enough space in the courtyard to fit two rows of tables, of five, each two almost long. However, therefore you could use all of them. They were all in the correct area for the Shulchan, and therefore they could all be used. Manda Omar, Tsofan Vidoram, Nimtu Shulchan Vidoram. But according to the one who says they were placed north to south, the width is not long enough. Remember, it has to remain, all the Shulchanos, as we learned at uh, up above, have to be in the north. And therefore, if you have a line of two, almost five tables, that's ten, you're going to cr- end up crossing the line a bit, crossing the midline, and it's now going to be not in the north, but in the south. So he says you run into trouble, you could not use all the tables if that was the arrangement. Okay, we'll leave it there. We'll carry on with the arrangement of certain Kalim. Tomorrow we'll start at the top of the new death.